listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your host, Vanessa Diaz. This is episode 359.5. And today I'm going to tell you about a couple of Backlist titles that have absolutely nothing to do with one another, at least not on the surface. Um, So anyway, I'm going to tell you all about those and how they work together in my brain for a very loose theme. But before we get into that, let's hear from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. So today's picks are brought to you courtesy of a video that I actually made for Book Riot's TikTok account about beach reads. It randomly snowed a couple of weeks ago in Portland, and I was clearly feeling a way about it. So I made a book about the kinds of books that I consider, you know, my personal like, beach reads, books that I either read when I am on a beach or really wish I was. And in this case, again, it was really, you know, cold and dreary after I had come back from several weeks in sunny Southern California, and I was just like, over it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I make this video, bust out about a bunch of books that, again, I consider beach reads and had a moment of like, oh, I really love some of these books so much. Like, wish I could read them again for the first time. And that's what essentially made me want to talk about them some more. And that's what we're doing today. The theme, it is loose. <laughs> the first of these is The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. I have only been reading romance for probably three to five years. I had read it kind of on and off before then, but I 1000% credit Jess and Trisha from our One in Romance podcast for turning me into like an official, you know, capital R romance reader. 
on more than one occasion throughout the history of the show. As you know, if you are a listener, Trisha has talked about this book that she loves called The Widow of Rose House. And she's talked about it enough times that it was sort of stuck in my brain and on a random trip, you know, at least two years ago, more than that, to Powell's with some of my book riot, you know, Portland friends, I bought it because I saw it. And I was like, oh, Trisha's talked about that book. Like, great. So then after that, it sat on my shelf for quite some time because, you know, that's a thing that we readers do. And then in April of 2020, it was time. <laughs> it was early pandemic times. We were all bored in the house and in the house bored. I'd been in a nasty reading slump for weeks. And I remembered that I owned this book that was supposed to be a gothic historical romance with some paranormal elements. And I thought, you know, ah, see, 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 see. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the book that's probably going to get me out of this slump. And it did. So it's set in 1875 in Gilded Age, New York. Alva Webster is our titular widow, and she has spent the last three years just getting lambasted by the press for having the gall to leave her abusive husband. Circumstances are interesting. I'll let you discover those on your own. Um, But the thing is, homeboy dies, and his sudden death sort of means freedom for Alva. She can now live life as she wants to. She's a widow. She can return to New York. That's what she's, you know, going to do. And she has this mission in mind for her return. She has bought, I believe, it's been a bit since I read this, bought, inherited, found something, (laughs) a rundown, you know, dilapidated old Hyde Park mansion, and she's going to restore it and hopes that in doing so, she can also sort of save her reputation. Pero guess what? That mansion is allegedly super haunted. And this news of this haunting stands to get in the way of, you know, all her carefully laid plans. So she needs someone to help her prove that, you know, it's all fine. And the only person who she can find to help her is himself quite fine. Uh, That man is Samuel Moore. He is a big old burly sack of science-loving nerd. (laughs) He cares not for normal conventions or propriety. And this is a problem. You know, Alba's like, oh no, because she doesn't have time for love and even less time for the scandal that seems to follow Sam around. Because again, he just doesn't care about conventions and he's like really into science and the truth and doesn't care what people think about him. She again is like, what do I do? Because he's the only person who seems to be able to help her and who 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 is willing to help her on top of, you know, being willing to do so to kind of get to the bottom of what's really going on with this house. He's going to help her like record the activity. So she has no choice. She says yes. And you know, feelings, sexy times, they ensue. This is a romance after all. (laughs) This book is so many wonderful things. It's historical. It's set in, again, Gilded Age, New York, which is a setting that I have come to really like in books. It has the whole creepy haunted mansion vibe. It has this ruined widow with a tragic past. We've got the sexy nerd type who loves consent and sexy times and science in equal measure. And I really want to hang a lantern on the consent part because in the time that I've been reading romance, there's been a lot, thankfully, more discussions about making consent explicit in romance. And there was a lot of talk, and I'm, you know, at the time, and I'm sure there still is in certain circles about like whether you can make consent sexy. And the answer is an emphatic yes. And this book is proof. It is so sexy. It's just like pulled off really, really well. I loved every second of it so much so that I was all up in Trisha's DMs after I read this book to be like, could you like maybe find me some more of this? <laughs> and um, the good news is the answer is yes. So first, I want to say that for this book, we do have a trigger warning that I want to give for domestic violence, flashbacks to some domestic violence. 
And um, the bonus here is that there are two more books by this author that are like connected in the same sort of universe as Widow of Rose House. One of those is a delightful novella called A Christmas Spark, which features Samuel's absolutely adorable scientist parents back when they first met and fell in love. And also The Brightest Star in Paris, which is, I think, Diana Biller's most recent novel. And it's actually about Sam's brother. So good. So now you're getting kind of a bonus. You get three books and one for that first pick. Second pick, which again has almost nothing to do with the first, except that I really like it, and actually that it has a historical thread, is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I have said several times on multiple Book Riot podcasts (laughs) that I believe Silvia Moreno-Garcia has a genre wheel, like a big old you know, Wheel of Fortune or maybe Price is Right kind of wheel that she just spins. And that wheel has a bunch of genres and subgenres on it. And she's whatever it lands on, she's like, I'm gonna write that. She has written Mexican Gothic, which was a, you know, gothic horror work that I'm obsessed with and from which I have never quite recovered in my hatred of mushrooms. Untamed Shore was this like coming of age mystery that is set in like the shores of Baja California. We have Certain Dark Things, which is her vampire novel set in Mexico City. Velvet Was the Night, which is also set in Mexico and is like a noir crime sort of thriller. Not not really thriller, more like noir. Really, really great. And also has this book coming out called Daughter of Dr. Moreau that I cannot wait to get my hands on. And then there is this pick, Gods of Jade and Shadow, which is one of my favorites of hers. It's about Cassiopeia, who is a young woman in a small Mexican village during Jazz Age Mexico. Uh, During the Jazz Age, I should say, in Mexico. (laughs) And she is dreaming of a life where she is not the family's servant. She and her mother had to return to her grandfather's house when her father died, and they absolutely treat her like the help. Her grandfather is all kinds of abusive, and she lives with and has to put up this really snotty cousin of hers who is equally abusive. So then one day the family goes on this trip to like another bigger town and they don't let Cassiopeia come because basically her cousin got mouthy and so she smacked him. She slapped him and, you know, that's a decision I fully support. But her grandfather was not such a fan and it's like, no, now you can't come. And so she's basically being punished. While everyone's gone, she's cleaning the house as she is, you know, supposed to be doing. And she realizes that there's this, you know, trunk at the base of her grandfather's bed that has always been there. She's always been curious about it, but it's always kept under lock and key. That key is generally on her grandfather. And this time he has either by accident, I can't remember if she took it, but I'm pretty sure it was by accident. It's been a while, but the key is left behind. So she's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna open that box. And so she opens that box and wouldn't you know, out pops the Mayan god of death, (laughs) long dormant after his twin brother betrayed him. So now he is going to go on this epic journey that takes readers everywhere from Mexico City to Baja California, I think to the Yucatan, and he takes Cassiopeia with him, but basically gives her no other choice in this quest for revenge to like restore the balance of the world of both gods and men. I love mythology, love it so much with all of my heart. Liberty knows to just automatically send me links to like new books when she finds out that they're coming out as she's, you know, working the new release index. But for the longest time, it was hard to find stuff that wasn't rooted in like Greco-Roman mythology. We've seen some more stuff kind of in the Norse, you know, body of work. But to find stuff based in other cultures has just been harder, at least, you know, published works that just didn't get as much shine. And that has started to change. And so this book speaks to everything that I love. I love Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I love books by, you know, Latina authors. And I love mythology and like putting all that together, you know, mythology, folklore, folkloric traditions and I couldn't love this book more. I'm thinking I'm actually going to read it again (laughs) quite soon with, you know, all that spare time I have. So those are my picks for today. Thank you so much to today's sponsor. 
Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for, for all of the work that she does to make us sound so good and edit out our foibles. And thank you for listening. For more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. You can find a list of all the books I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. And if you're a fan of all the books and all the backlist and you want to show us a little love, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate your reviews. We love seeing them. And those reviews help other book lovers find us. If you want to find me, I am mostly on the gram at Buenos Dias SD, and I'm occasionally making a fool out of myself on Book Riot's TikTok account. So I hope you enjoy these books today, spending a little bit of time together. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.